Welcome to Talking Walking, hosted by Andrew Stuck from Rethinking Cities and the Museum of Walking. Talking Walking brings you interviews with people from the world of walking, artists, activists, professionals and those of us have a passion for just taking a walk. Emma Griffin is a transport journalist turned pedestrian activist and maker of footways maps of London that identify calm and pedestrian-friendly routes and streets for us on foot to enjoy. One such route is the canal-side towpath that Emma and I walk along when we meet in Hackerston in Hackney. Or so it should be. However, we have to share the path with inconsiderate cyclists. Emma argues they're part of the solution towards a more pedestrian-friendly London, as are low-traffic neighbourhoods, and the real battle is with the car drivers. So here am I, I'm walking along with a pedestrian activist. How did you get involved in that first off? I'd finished a, an urban, a Masters in Urban Studies at UCL and I'd become quite interested, well actually it was long-going interest in the impact of traffic on cities. I was a journalist as well, writing about traffic engineering and and the impact of cars on cities. And so I did an urban studies masters in, in the, and there was one of those modules was on public space and the impact of, of cars and traffic on public space. And that's become a kind of major interest of mine. And then I got involved in the Living Streets um, local group in Hackney and also the London Living Streets group of campaigners, you know, campaigning for safe, easy, enjoyable everyday walking. That's how I got involved. Okay, so let's wind back a bit further. So, uh, <laughs> you were already a journalist writing about transport. How did that happen? I don't know. I think I, my first job at, out of university was at a publishing company, and I was writing about a various number of subjects. One of them was company clothing, but the other one was traffic engineering and control, and that was the subject that I was interested in. And I actually started writing about things like share bikes. This is way back in the way back, but in the early two thousands. Um, sort of share bike schemes that were emerging then. Um, I wrote about some of the first car sharing schemes as well in London back then. Road pricing, I remember interviewing Stephen Glaister about road pricing and still that conversation's continuing pretty much in the same way it was back then. Things haven't moved on a great deal. And then I did also the various sorts of freelance journalists after that and then had children and, and then, then got back into work via the Urban Studies Masters. To me, it's always incredible to find anyone getting excited about traffic engineering and uh, highway development. Oh, I don't know. I think when people start to feel angry about how space is allocated, fair allocation of people versus, you know, machines, I think that interest soon develops because it's so unjust. And the solutions could potentially be so easy with, with just a few cents, a few measures. So I think people do get interested in it. If you look at all the campaigners... As, you know they are growing and and yeah full of passion or maybe or maybe I am a youth I don't know. <laughs> uh, here you are activist journalist but now you're also a map maker how have you got into making maps and really is there a need for walking maps in London? <laughs> um, well I'm gonna say yes of course there is a need for maps. Um, I was working with my colleague David Harrison and he had been working on this idea for a little while that people were walking down main roads as habit just because they thought it might be quicker because their, their mapping tool on their phone was directing them down the main roads just because the algorithm was trying to save a few seconds just to get somewhere quicker without realising actually there was probably a route very nearby that was 
seconds longer, but way more enjoyable, low air pollution with lots of things to see and beauty all around. And people weren't doing that because they either didn't know about the area, they were just following habit or their phone and going down the main road. So the idea was, of the, the footways project was to show the city in a different way and how it's connected, all the destinations and all the stations, the mainline stations and tube stations are connected by actually a network of very beautiful, often very old streets. And with a little bit more of information, people can, you know, stride out and try something new. I've been walking London from the very first day I met and um, exploring all the back streets. But I think people do seem to follow habit. Maybe do need a little bit of encouragement to step out and try to find different routes. Yeah, okay. I mean, promoting walking and, and maps and stuff like that is really good. And I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a privileged white male who can pretty much wander anywhere. It, it's not the case for everybody. So what, what's your take on women walking yeah. safely in London? We ran recently about women's safety with three fantastic speakers. We're about to publish something about that. One of them was Sudanese top, and she's a, the young mayor of Hackney, and she talked about the experiences of young people in Hackney. And I watched her, her presentation and was reminded how I felt as a young woman. And I'd forgotten, to be honest. I've, when I first arrived in London, I wouldn't walk through certain estates. I wouldn't walk through parks without lights or just with unseen areas. I was terrified. And now that's gone with either age or confidence. Who knows? It's really good to remind yourself actually how different ages feel throughout their lives, um, at different, you know, different ways as they as, as as people progress. We think about this a lot when we're creating these maps. Our routes are quiet routes. They do seek out the the interesting quiet street and we do stay on the maps these are daylight routes and don't take a route if you feel unsafe but i fundamentally feel that the solution to creating safer safer spaces is not walking on necessarily walking on main roads to be near cars so I generally don't feel that moving cars are the are the kind of greatest form of protection for women i'm sure it's people so if we feel streets with more people walking that is how streets are going to feel safer kind of back coming back to the jane jacobs idea it's eyes on the yeah street yeah but I, I also think it. it's i also think it's actually ground floor activity yeah ground exactly uh, yeah. with the lights on i mean yeah. so it's not yeah. actually difficult to uh, leave lights on in yeah. in, in shops and things and the end That's trouble true. is that they're often very heavily shuttered and barricaded and then you get also these new blocks which have been developed in London with no care whatsoever for the pedestrian. They have no overhead awning, no, no lighting in the ground floor. Yeah. They're very flat and blank. There's no protection from the wind, yeah. and let alone any protection from any un, unpleasant character or gangs of characters who might be out um, you know, seeking to create trouble. Exactly. You know, obviously, as streets come in, as we proponents of low-traffic neighbourhoods and the impact of low-traffic neighbourhoods, not just on cycling, but on walking is great. People do walk more when there's less traffic. So some feeling that maybe people feel, some women feel less safe on a area without cars. But I think if we can just do anything we can to get more people to be using these beautiful, quieter streets, fill them with people, then they're going to feel safer and safer and full of activity. Well, I'm, I'm certain when people are commuting, if there's a walking leg or what have you describe it, even if they walk the whole distance to work, uh, people just do form into habit because they're, they're chasing time and they skip breakfast, which I understand you did yourself this morning, Anna. 
that's right. <laughs> These tiny slivers of time we're always after. And, we're, like, and then as, as for me this morning, without realising actually a good breakfast or a nice walking route is exactly what you need for a happy life. <laughs> I'm still wanting to tease out more about these maps and things because... For me, I'm a great lover of walking. I'm a great lover of maps, too, so that's, that's good. Yet another map to add to the collection. How often do I look at a map? I'm not so sure I look at a map very often. I actually find how they're folded really inconvenient. <laughs> they blow around in the wind. You fold it back. It never folds back the way you want it. It's, it's actually pretty useless. And what's really helpful these days is we can get all this stuff on an app. So why a map? OK, well, uh, yeah, you're right. And, 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 people, and I have seen people use our maps on the street. I was actually at the... I think it was the Queen's funeral, and they were uh, network rail were giving that free, and I saw lots of people walking around with the maps and using them, which was great. So they are used on the street, but but this is also a a tool for just changing minds, getting people to think differently about the city. It's designed really beautifully with very strong, vibrant colours, a kind of different way of showing the city. It's the first map probably to put the pedestrian um, network as the priority. So if you look at the A to Z map, the main roads will pop out. If you look at the tube map, the tube maps will pop out. This is the first time the actual hidden nice back streets are the first things that leap out at you. So I guess it's as much a kind of a, com a communications tool for getting us to think differently as well as a wayfinding tool. And I think maps, and as we know, maps are as much about that and about telling stories and things like that as, as they are about wayfinding. But we do have a digital map too. In the 90s, the Salisbury Walking Forum created a map which was a walking map of, of Salisbury where they enhanced or made positive the, the walking routes. It was taken up as an example by the Department for Transport, oh, which right. who, who published it on a, in a, I can't remember which document it was, but a document that has long since been yeah. archived because it's thought by a different government or whatever the argument is. But the key thing that happened with that map and which the Department for Transport didn't realise, and for a long time, Wiltshire County Council didn't realise, who were the Highways Authority, was it actually included routes that didn't exist. And the purpose was, yeah. as a propaganda tool, you've just mentioned that, you just yeah. said that, you know, they're, they're, they've been, maps have been used for all different reasons. Mm. And what the Salisbury Walking Forum were intending at the time were to get the Highways Authority to consider uh, routes across the A36 bypass. Brilliant. As yeah. well as around the uh, Churchfields Industrial Estate, which had a... A river running around it and could easily be bridged. Yeah. So there were sort of kind of issues like that. You're not doing that quite with footways, are you? Well, no, we're not, and that's a really great idea. Showing showing a map of routes that don't exist to show what it could look like. That's fantastic. I'm going to go and look at that. We are to some extent, and we are mapping the infrastructure changes that are needed. And obviously, we came we came from this as walking campaigners, pedestrian infrastructure campaigners. So we are using this network to go and walk with councillors, work with officers, walk with officers, go along the routes and show all the bits of infrastructure that need to be changed along them to make it a bit better. We've seen some small direct changes as a result of that. You know, we've moved a barrier, I think, in Camden, walking with the officers there. There's um, some filters along the uh, Red Lion Street. So, yeah, these walks, a walking networking, can encourage someone out for a walk, have a purpose, an A and B point, our routes do link places, so they are the kind of natural desire lines where people want to go. So if you walk these links and look at the kind of all the points on the way, that does lead to change and we are seeing evidence of that.
Well, now this is a classic for us, isn't it? We're walking along the towpath beside the Regent's Canal. I almost got hit by a bike then, did you see that? Exactly, and this is what I'm going to say, is that this is private land, and it was once, uh, you know, a no way, a no pedestrian and no cyclist would ever have been allowed on this towpath. And, and people tend to forget that. This is actually a private route that's been made a permissive way. It's not a public right-of-way. So it's a sort of shared convenience. And we have this issue, don't we, all the time, contention with cyclists for pedestrians. So, you know, where, where, do, where do you stand on this? And where does Living Street stand? And, and where does Footways Maps? Do you recommend people walk along the towpath? I think we've got a much greater problem from the impact of motor traffic on cities than we do have bikes. Bikes are part of the solution, and there are solutions for sharing space between people and walking, but we're not going to spend all our time just focusing on the dangers of cycling. I think getting you know quiet walking routes away from through motor traffic is going to have a much greater impact on our air quality and our and on road safety than the impact of bikes but um yeah we do we do use the towpath but we also show alternatives um, obviously we campaign for courteous cycling behavior but we're not we're not anti anti-shared sharing space with bikes I, I love cycling but i'm also a great respecter of the fact that walking and having opportunity to yeah. contemplate and get away from whatever the stresses and trains of daily life just by taking a walk it yeah. would be great and then to have to keep worrying about whether you're going to be knocked uh, sideways this, by someone cycling by I think the solution is more is best, better infrastructure for active travel and there is you know there's a, a solution here for example is a segregated cycle lane or, or and there is along the nearby roads for bikes and you leave the canals for the people walking there is a great solution for all of these problems that enables more active travel we just need to be bolder and making sure those happen. What's the current situation there for, for active travel investment in London? Is, well, there, is there a lot? Well, nationally we've got active travel England Stein, so let's hope that does actually turn into great policy and more money. I mean, that's the crucial thing. I mean, active travel is just massively underfunded. There's not Money is where it all starts. And so active travel England has been set up, and let's hope that turns it. In London... Sadiq Khan's transport strategy for 2018 was groundbreaking. It's got a really ambitious target there for the split of 80% of journeys to be um, made by public transport, cycling, walking, which is a great ambition to have. It's got the Vision Zero ambition in there, um, which you know they are working really hard. It's difficult, but they're working hard towards. So the ambitions are there. There's, there's more and more segregated cycle lanes coming in. I mean, so many appearing, and that is great for people walking because that creates completely segregated space for people cycling and walking. Yeah, we just need more space and less traffic, and we need more crossings. On there's some, too many crossings injunctions in London without green man phases on them and that needs to change that's enabling safe passage I don't think I think the solution is driver behavior and really as a driver the chance of a pedestrian walking in front of you at any moment should be a reality and this is why we need 20 miles per hour and that's why London is doing so well in bringing 20 miles per hour right I mean there are red routes now transport for London managed roads that I don't know a while ago even imagine they could get 20 mile hour limits on them but it's happening okay so tell us a little bit more about footways and how, how's it financed i mean is it who's going to be buying these maps and, and, where, and, and who is buying these maps 
So our first map in 2020 was um, funded by Transport for London, and I guess that was like seed funding, and that got us our first map published, and that paid for a designer and the printing of it. And we gave out, I think, 10,000 free copies then. The second edition was funded by a collection of sponsors, including Network Rail, some developers, business improvement districts, LNER, the train operator. Um, that was last year in 2022. And the, the latest edition, that, again, we gave out a lot of free copies from mainline stations. This time, Network Rail, in fact, the stations themselves, because the maps were so popular in central London and the train stations kept telling us we cannot get enough of this. There are no other tools for people walking. We've got nothing else to give to people who want to walk from the stations on foot. So we need more maps. So Network Rail bought 18,000 maps from us to give out for free during the coronation weekend and beyond. So that's been a major part of the funding. We've also had a grant from Hackney Council to produce a map for Hackney Central, part of its Impact and Ideas Fund to support local businesses and boost, boost business and boost footfall in the area post-Covid. Uh, so tell us a bit more about the Hackney map, because we're walking, well, we're probably out of Hackney now. We have been walking, you know, through Hackney. I don't know, is your intention to try to produce maps in each of the boroughs? I mean, are you trying to look for the local authorities to support you, or are you doing it, as you mentioned, commercial sponsors, you've got business improvement districts. I mean, all these different people want a bit of the map. My ambition is to map the whole of London with these quiet and interesting walking routes, connecting destinations with nice places to walk. And if we could map the whole of London and then pass that network over to London for it to use in its own way to, you know, whether that's to inspire local community walks for other forms of mapping or, or our own mapping, but we create a resource of a network that can be used widely. So, you know, we've got funding from Hackney Council to produce a map with them and that's meant that we've mapped this borough. Again, we've mapped most of Islington, we've been working closely with councillors there. And we're talking to lots of other councils. We're really hoping to be able to do something in Westminster soon. Um, but we're sort of just, that's, that's kind of an ongoing discussion at and the when, moment. And when, yeah. and when you say map this borough, I mean, this borough has been mapped a hundred thousand times. So what's the process? What kind of technique do you use to, to map and identify quieter footways? The key thing is actually working with local volunteers. And often this is... Living Streets volunteers, in fact, because these are the people that know the areas extremely well, walk a lot, and also know what the key bits of pedestrian infrastructure look like and what makes a safe and easy and durable connection. So you know, and currently there's a group of volunteers with, with Haringey Living Streets who've developed a network, and we're trying to maybe take that to the next stage to, turn that, to, to develop that network. Um, again, in Wortham Forest, there's a group there currently walking out, selecting routes, but also selecting all the kind of interesting features that you'll see on the way. Because our maps are not just the walking routes themselves, but all the amazing stuff that you can see as you walk, because walking is the only form of transport where you can properly enjoy your environment. So we map historical, cultural, um, architectural, nature features so people can enjoy them on, the, on, their, on their walks and those are on our paper maps and our digital maps. So yeah, so we work with kind of volunteers and then present a map to a council, show them and then I guess then have a discussion with them about how that is useful and how they may want to use it. That could be a paper map, but it needn't be. It could be a digital map, um, it could be 
pass to other groups to do what it want with. I think we just, I think the first stage is mapping and then we've got all the tools if people do want to create a beautiful footways map with that in the future. Now, apart from being a great promoter of this, you know, what other things are you doing? I mean, are you someone who's sitting at the computer actually fiddling around moving vectors or whatever they're called? Yeah, I'm learning. Vector front or, I mean, how many people are involved in making a footways map? So, I am learning mapping as I go. But uh, front of the map design is designed by an organisation applies information and they're behind the legible London walking maps that you see all around London so they could be skill group that do our front of map design and that's squeezing a huge amount of information onto a tiny bit of space and that takes a lot of skill we've got an amazing designer that designs the beautiful covers and the backs of our map and he's based in Hackney We've got someone, um, Michael Schilling, who, who does all sorts of social media for active travel and green space, and he manages our social media. And we've got Will Petty, he, he um, helps with the mapping and helps with the copywriting of all the features. So we've got a small team of part-timers that are helping with the projects. And obviously my co-founder, David Harrison, who's uh, like me, kind of working almost non-stop on the project um, in among kind of other, other little bits as well. We're, we're set as a social enterprise. We're a limited company at the moment, but essentially operating as a social enterprise, we're completely not for profit. <laughs> We've ever paid ourselves, to be honest. No, no, but, well, uh, I mean, we'll pay other people, but not ourselves. No, no, <laughs> funny enough, that rings a bell. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that rings a bell. Okay, so, um, you know, children are growing up. They're not growing up that fast, because I, I saw one or two of them in the barbican when I saw you. But, oh, yeah, that's yeah, right, but, yeah. But they are growing up. You're a mum. How do you manage writing as a journalist because you said you were still freelancing as a journalist you're uh, being a pedestrian activist um, you're you're creating maps you're saying you're working every hour god that gave you but actually that's not true because you're mumming so how do you make it all happen i don't know i guess a good question I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah just just uh, there's a lot of late night working but it's you know there's a lot of walking meeting that's nice you can tick off a lot of things in in that way yeah, and getting a great team of people that are now helping so much with the project, so it is getting a lot easier. And, and what about, I mean, what does drive you on? What drives me on? Yeah, what drives you on? <laughs> the open path ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if someone did pay you to do this, you, you'd probably slack off and, you know, sky around the coffee machine, wouldn't you? Oh, no. <laughs> no, I mean, we've got, to, we've got to become a sustainable business and we've got to pay ourselves at some stage. We do sell maps, Stanford's sell our map for a fiver, and they've been one of their best-selling maps, actually. So I think there is a business model where we can take it and maybe sell some things and try and make it a sustainable, longer-term longer -term organisation. Because a lot of this is based on volunteer work. There's no way all this mapping and all this walking can be done. You know, you can raise money for all of that. It is reliant on that. But you do need money to be able to pay the designers, pay the printers, and to create these kind of really stunning, beautiful products. It's about time that I actually asked Emma to recommend a couple of walking <laughs> uh, walks uh, or walking routes. Uh, and, of course, Emma might just plug footways again. Yeah, right. Of I am. yeah, but then again, she might not. So, Emma, oh, no, I'm going to plug for <laughs> We've got a new map out, so you can go and pick it up from a mainline station. All the is like on our map, we've got three great routes actually. One created by David Harrison, the London Squares Walk, and that goes all the way, I think, from Paddington to Liverpool Street. It's a great long walk 
following the Elizabeth line, kind of contribution to town planning, these incredible garden squares that were there throughout history. It's a great way of tracing London history, actually. Um, a Hackney Walk, I love, we were actually meant to do it now, but it was too, essentially too, bit more noisy than the route we have, because it's not a noisy route, and it is an ancient path for market porters in use since Roman time that would have gone, I think even from more than Forest down into the city, but certainly from Hackney through Hackney Central, down London Fields, down Broadway Market, down Columbia Road and that way. That is a really well used path now that people walk on a daily basis, mostly low traffic, um, kind of compelling routes. That's a nice one. Um, so, yeah. And you know, let's put you on the spot. Your vision for, for when your children are adults? Well, we've got to have a city-wide uh, low-traffic neighbourhoods, and that will mean not all the traffic is pushed to the main roads, but there will be less traffic in London and much more active travel. More people cycling, more people walking, more people using public transport. Because remember, walking is part of public transport. In fact, it's part of every, every public transport journey. If we have a city designed with the walker right at the centre, at the top of the pyramid, as they should be, and as in fact they are in the transport hierarchy, everything else will flow behind it. But you've got to design it with the uh, infrastructure and, the, and, it, and those walking routes to be connected, and that comes with, with predominantly for low traffic. So will that happen by the time your children are independent adults? You know, I don't know, but it's, it is happening fast in London. Look at boroughs you know, like Islington. We're putting in almost borough-wide low-traffic neighbourhoods. Hackney's moving, could go a little bit faster, I think, but it's moving very fast. What, why not? Let's have the ambition. I, th- there's no reason why that couldn't happen. You've been listening to Talking Walking, brought to you by Rethinking Cities and the Museum of Walking. In this episode, you've heard from Emma Griffin. If you have any views on this interview or any walking issues, we would love to hear from you. Just follow the links on the Talking Walking website. We look forward to having you along for future episodes of Talking Walking. Written, recorded and produced by Andrew Stuck of Rethinking Cities Limited, our artwork is designed by Ian Martin of Artvark Graphics and the music is composed by Simon Sanders of Easy Tronic.